Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. The Women's Football Show, with Baker Others. It's a really, really good finish. I love goals like that on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello, you lovely lot. What a weekend it was in the WSL. We were treated to a Lauren James hat-trick, a record-breaking Manchester derby, and we saw Beth Mead make her first start for Arsenal on the anniversary of her ACL injury. Don't forget, you can listen back to the full women's football show via the TalkSport app. This week, we were on on Monday at 7pm, so just swipe for TalkSport 2, find Monday, and you can listen in full then. I caught up with broadcaster and author Carrie Dunn to look back at all the action from this round of games. Let's focus on the positives of it because it was a thrilling weekend of WSL football. We had reporters here on TalkSport at every game across the weekend, so you didn't miss a thing. This is how it all sounded across the TalkSport network. James left footed, finds the bottom corner. Chelsea clinical on the counter-attack. Probably a fair game, to be honest. Point of peace, meaning Leicester City have stopped the slide of three defeats in three. Leicester won, Spurs won. We're frustrated with eight points. We're frustrated with a point against Spurs, our first ever point against Spurs. That definitely shows you the sign of progress and, and where we're trying to get to. James takes it in a stride and finds the corner again. What a brilliant goal from Lauren James. Two for James. Three for Chelsea. It's Brighton nil, Arsenal three. The third, in fact, was scored by Marnham, really a breakaway play as Brighton tried to muster something from this game. I think it's huge. Uh, I think it's huge for us because the support is tremendous and it helps us so much. It's a winner for Aston Villa. West Ham two, Aston Villa three. We're now into the sixth minute of added on time. We're only meant to get five. And about a minute ago, a lovely goal scored by Rachel Daly, swiveling on the ball inside the penalty area to volley at home into the top corner. Real quality from the Lioness. You know it's always going to be difficult when you come to, to West Ham. And, you know, Rihanna always has their team that um, they're gutsy, they fight, they're organised. And we knew it was going to be tough. Rising counter in lays it square! And it's stopped! to the net and James celebrates she has a hat-trick and Chelsea have scored four that victory means that City go into third in the WSL they are now a point above Manchester United Manchester United one Manchester City three really frustrating um because you know we had you know packed crowd at Old Trafford and I think we stitched just each other up a lot to be fair and the drama never stops that is absolutely right. The drama does never stop here on Talk Sport, and there was plenty of it at Old Trafford on Sunday as Manchester City bounced back from successive defeats to beat Manchester United in front of a record 43,615 crowd. They had to come from behind 
after Katie Zellum opened the scoring for United from the penalty spot. But two goals in the space of a minute from Jill Rord and Lauren Hemp gave City a first-half lead. Bunny Shaw then sealed them the points in the second half, and that was key because Laya Alexandri was sent off for a second yellow card with 20 minutes to go. Uh, City did see the game out to secure all three points. And arguably get their Women's Super League title challenge back on track. Uh, Carrie Dunn, Gareth Taylor has said that City need to go the rest of the season unbeaten to be in for a chance of the title. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, yes, as an absolute minimum. But I think even then, I think even then it's going to be difficult to make up that gap. That's six points now between them and Chelsea. And you have to ask where Chelsea are going to drop the points and we'll come to that later. But making up that six points that really they should have done better with earlier in the season is going to be very, very tough for them. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, United, though, who everybody, you know, after last season, they got into the top three, thought that they would be uh, fighting again, this time maybe for the title. But uh, United keeper Mary Earp spoke to Talk Sport after the game and had some very harsh words. Really frustrating um, because, you know, we had, you know, a packed crowd at Old Trafford and I think we stitched us, each other up a lot, to be fair. Uh, short back passes, um, short passes into each other, playing, playing in tight, too tight areas. Um, not getting our, you know, a few of our defensive duties right for the first goal. Um, yeah, really, really, really frustrating. And I, and I feel like even when we had one more player, we didn't, we didn't really create a lot. Um, it was, it was off. It was, it was really off. I think. In terms of going forward, so that's the first defeat of the season. We know how tight the WSL is. This chasing pack. I mean, City lost two games, but this win has taken them a point above you now as well. What do you need to do now going forward? with the WSL being so tight. I mean, I think the positive of the situation um, is that, you know, we haven't we haven't showed ourselves today. You know, it's not like we gave it everything that we had and, and then we fell short. You know, we, we weren't good enough and we know we can play a lot better. Um, and so that's where it's, it's really positive because it, we know if we turn up and do what we need to do, we work as a team, we work together and we don't put ourselves in difficult position. So, you know, I, I, I back us all day long to win games like today. I, I back us to win every game. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't to be today. We have to we have to really look at ourselves and um, and make sure we get it right going forward. Because yeah, as you say, the league is uh, is tough and and um, bad performances don't go unpunished. Mary Earps there speaking to Natalie Pike, and she never minces her words. Carrie does she, uh, Mary? No one likes to lose in a derby, especially in front of a, a record crowd at Old Trafford. But they just weren't good enough, were they? They weren't, and yeah, Mary Earps picks out some really interesting points that obviously I think she's particularly annoyed about the defensive uh, slip-ups. But yeah, playing too tight, I think that's a really interesting observation because as she then points out, you know, playing 20 minutes with an extra player, they didn't capitalise on the extra space that they should have had. They didn't create going forward. And I would be a little more concerned about the fact that they didn't perform on a day like that with that kind of occasion in front of that record crowd, in front of that noisy home support on that brilliant pitch, you know, not being able to get your team up and playing on that kind of occasion is a little bit concerning if United have the dreams, which they obviously do, to be playing you know, Champions Leagues and winning WSLs. They need to be ready to perform on the big occasion. 
Yeah, they certainly do and and just haven't done uh, yet. But that's why we love this season, because it does feel as if everybody can beat everyone else and makes it really tight. Although there's one juggernaut that doesn't seem to be able to be uh, stopped, isn't there? Chelsea's 5-1 win over Liverpool at Stamford Bridge was live on TalkSport and it felt like the Lauren James show. She scored her first ever WSL hat-trick, assisted Aggie Beaver-Jones' goal as well. Uh, Shukanuskan completed the route and Emma Hayes' side were just outstanding in front of their home crowd. Talk Sports Joe Shannon spoke to the manager after the game. Emma, well done today. Um, some of your team's attacking play must have been a joy to watch. Well, well, I'm the attacking coach, so of course I'm happy because we're, I think, carrying out the patterns we work on and our methodology, our training methodology and everything we do day in, day out, I think it's really starting to show and real credit to the whole group after a tough week. I thought we'd tremendous. So clinical, everybody had hunger, yeah. starting 11 or subs coming on. And what about Lauren James with that hat-trick? Yeah, I mean, brilliant. She's someone who we know at her very best, and that was today, her very best. The work rate she did for the team out of possession was unbelievable. The number of pressing opportunities she won, the number of situations that she you know, sacrificed herself to regain the ball for the team. We need to talk about the work she did off of the ball. Um, because it was exceptional. But on it, simply unstoppable unstoppable today. Some of the quality of the finishes, I mean, it, it, it's hard to really say which goal was the best. Maybe there's no point in going into that, but the quality of the finishing was outstanding throughout. I'm more interested in what she was doing out of possession for the team, and I thought that was fantastic from her today, and I'll focus on that. And she does those things well, the rest of it take care of himself. That's not the first time Emma Hayes has said that about Lauren James out of possession. We know what she can do with the ball at her feet, but actually what she's been told to work on is 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 her rate of work off the ball. So pleased that Emma Hayes is delighted with that. I can't believe that it's her first WSL hat-trick, really. I love the the quote that Emma Hayes has about her, the most naturally gifted footballer. I think most of us are, are inclined to to agree with that. Yeah, she's absolutely fantastic. With the ball at her feet, without the ball, as Emma Hayes quite rightly pointed out, she's an absolutely fantastic player, generational talent. And it's just, I think she's only going to get better and better. It's going to be wonderful to, for us to watch over the next 10 to 15 years as she comes into her prime. Oh God, 10 to 15 years of Lauren James. What can she achieve? Absolutely incredible. Um, Liverpool's only goal was an equaliser two minutes after uh, James's opener, but it was an own goal from Jess Carter turning in Shanice van der Sanden's cross. And, and Liverpool could have moved second with a win. Uh, their boss, Matt Beard, Todd talk sports Joe Shen, and how disappointed he was with their performance. Listen, it's a frustrating result for us. I think um, you know, we've said to the players after the game, disappointed with the manner of the goals, especially when we work hard to turn, force Chelsea into turnovers and we give it straight back. You just get punished against these top, top sides. So disappointed with the goals. I do think we've had good moments today. Um, but... Um, we shouldn't. I don't think we should be conceding five goals at this level. Not, I don't think Chelsea had to work necessarily really hard for their goals today. And for me, that's that's the most frustrating point uh, or part of the game for us. And is it a measure of how much you've improved that you're as disappointed as you are by by what's happened today? No, I'm disappointed because we've conceded five goals. That's what I'm disappointed about. Um, yes, we have improved. Yes, we're still miles away from these top three teams. If I look at last year, they were a tight game. Today wasn't the tight game and that's what frustrates and disappoints me.
feel like I wanted to play frustrate and disappoint bingo with uh, with Matt Beard in in that particular audio clip, Carrie. I mean, look, he's clearly not happy conceding that many goals and you can understand why. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of more inclined to say to Matt Beard than to Mary Earps, you know, it's just one of those days, let's leave that behind and move on because it just was one of those days. They have played so much better than that, but he's absolutely right. They were taking that extra touch and I think they were worrying so much about, you know, keeping an eye on Sam Kerr that they forgot that there were so many other players who could be hurting them. If you look at the amount of space that they are leaving, um, Lauren James um, certainly uh, for the the last couple of goals. It's just, yeah, it's something that Liverpool and Matt Beard, who you know, we know likes to have his organised defences, are, are going to watch back in analysis th- this week and they're going to have um, some heated discussions, I would have thought. There'll be some words exchanged. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. A shout out to Chelsea's Sophie Ingle, by the way. She set a new WSL record for most appearances in the competition. 184 games she's on now, moving one clear of former Birmingham and Tottenham defender Keris Harrop. Let's focus on the other WSL games from the weekend and a bit of a thriller as well. This one, Aston Villa have won back-to-back games and are two points clear of that relegation spot after a 3-2 win at West Ham. Vivian Asai had put West Ham ahead from the penalty spot, but Anna Patton headed Villa level before half-time. And Carla Ward's side took the lead through Adriana Leon before Lisa Evans looked to have earned West Ham a point with a brilliant half volley. But Rachel Daly popped up and hooked in a spectacular late winner from just inside the box. Uh, here are the thoughts of Villa boss Carla Ward speaking to Talk Sports' Ian Abrahams. Terrific game to watch. What was it like to coach? Oh, not 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 great. It was it was scrappy, wasn't it? It was you know you know it's always going to be difficult when you come to to West Ham and you know Rihanna always has their team that um, they're gutsy, they fight, they're organised, and we knew it was going to be tough. And I thought the first half they put us under a huge amount of pressure, and we had to get in at half time, readjust, reset, have a look at where we were at and what we needed to adapt. And we thought once we adapted a couple of things, I thought we were excellent second half, and I thoroughly think we deserved the victory. How big was the change with Jordan Nobbs at half time? Massive. You know what? Jordan came on last week against Bristol and did tremendously well and I don't think got the praise that she deserved because Ebony went and scored, obviously got the two. And But I thought she'd come on today, I thought she was excellent and I think she uh, she gave us a different dimension. She's experienced, you know, she wants the ball and I think we needed we, need, we needed that little bit of experience in there against a, a stubborn West Ham team. So, yeah, look, I think um, she certainly helped with what we wanted to do in the second half and look, I thought the girls were excellent they deserved that today. In terms of your position now, a week ago, two or two weeks ago, it didn't look great. Now you suddenly got six points on the board, two wins. You're smiling a lot more. Um, one more game before the international break, win that, and, and I guess it's been a good start to the season. Yeah, listen, I think you can uh, you can roll over or you can roll your sleeves up and dig in. And I'm one of those people. Everybody knows that I roll my sleeves up. We'll work as hard as we can, and uh, we won't give up until until that moment. Yeah, absolutely. We know that that Carla Ward has that in her locker, don't we, Carrie? Uh, Rachel Daly to the rescue for Villa. We know she has that in her locker as well. Um, How important is it, though, that they use this as a confidence boost and maybe a platform going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I get the feeling with Villa that the stick that they've got and the stick that Carla Ward has got particularly over recent weeks has really kind of given them some fuel to the fire. They've really gone out, you know, blasting on all cylinders and they've got those 
got those wins and got those points on the board finally. And, you know, the pressure is slightly off now. And, yeah, I think it's going to be much more healthy psychologically to be able to use that as a confidence boost rather than thinking we need to win this and that kind of sense of desperation. I think using these wins as confidence, those performances, you know, the amount of brilliant players that they've got there, things should be clicking. They were right up there last season. I mean, there's no reason they, that they shouldn't be you know, towards the top of the table rather than where they are now. Yeah, they've got a Conti Cup game midweek against Blackburn, but then it's Everton on, on Sunday, which, you know, bearing in mind Everton's patchy form, you would hope that Carla Ward's thinking that they can get another three points there. But it was a frustrating result for, for West Ham. I'm sure they would have liked to beat the team bottom of the table at home. Not to be for Rianne Skinner. She's having a really tough time of it. It is a tough time. I hope she gets more more time to get things running the way she wants them. I mean, it's just not quite clicking yet, but I have reasonable confidence that it is going to come good for them because all the pieces are there. It's just not quite there yet. Yeah, it had started to come good for Brighton, who had a brilliant win last week, didn't they? But uh, not to be against Arsenal. It finished Brighton nil. Arsenal three, Arsenal in second place, uh, their fifth consecutive Women's Super League win. Stina Blackstenius, Caitlin Ford and Frieda Marnham on the score sheet. Uh, I mean, it means that they keep the pressure on on Chelsea at the top of the table, just three points behind them still. Uh, But Brighton had had beaten Manchester City last week. They almost equalised here when Manuela Zinsberger pushed Elizabeth Turland's strike away, but they just went on to concede two late goals, which I'm sure Melissa Phillips would have been very uh, disappointed with. Jake Robson spoke to Jonas Eideveld after the game and asked him how important it was for the team that Beth Mead had made her first start in exactly a year. I think it's a huge step in her return to play to, to start the game uh, for it. You can see that she's involved in good goal-creating opportunities. Um, I mean, she has a great chance just a second before she she comes off, for example. And I think that just gives us another really important tool uh, coming here at the season, where we can see that we have great competition on our forward positions, but also how important that is for us that we are able to get on fresh legs. Um, I think as a team, when you see the goals that we score for, for example, like minute 85 and onwards in the game, I don't think that that's a coincidence with us having real quality players coming on, having fresh legs, being able to capitalise on on that space that that opens up there. Um, And how close is she to being able to do 90 minutes and full game? Today I take the decision on my ice. Uh, so today that was uh, 60 minutes. Next time we'll see. I take a lot of decisions on my eyes. <laughs> it was a strange turn of phrase uh, from Jonas Eideval. I mean, look, it was 60 minutes and a huge, a huge boost for Arsenal. Absolutely. I think maybe that's the Swedish idiom that doesn't quite necessarily translate for word for word. Um, yeah, it's brilliant to see Beth be back and see her last in that hour. And I'm actually really pleased that she only got an hour. And I think one of Arsenal's issues in kind of recent months has been kind of the reliance on some of their big name players. And it's contributing towards the fatigue that we have seen as in, in some of that squad. I mean, being able to bring on those fresh legs and capitalise on it. I mean, that kind of rotation, not pushing Beth Mead back to be playing 90 minutes yet. I think that is actually going to be really ideal as she returns to top fitness. 
Yeah, as for Brighton, I mean, they, they were in the game for a while, but they just couldn't find the extra edge. And uh, Melissa Phillips was actually pleased and said there was plenty to be optimistic about for her side. And after that 11th place finish last season, I, I, I tend to agree with her, to be honest, but she'll have been frustrated that they couldn't follow up last week's win. Yeah, absolutely. She'll be disappointed that they didn't manage to have that incisive cutting edge. And I don't think it was a 3-0 defeat of a performance from from Brighton. Um, Yeah, there's plenty to be optimistic about for them, plenty to to build on. And yeah, they'll, they'll still have that nice warm glow of beating City. There's, yeah, yeah, plenty of reasons to be cheerful. Yeah. One, two, three, (laughs) as the old advert said, or maybe I'm just showing my age there. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, um, let's discuss Leicester against Tottenham, a one-all draw. These these teams have been brilliant this season, I feel, and uh, up there much more than we thought they were going to be, bearing in mind they were fighting a relegation battle last season. Spurs boss Robert Villahams has decided taking steps, despite being held to a third consecutive uh, WSL draw. Uh, Celine Bizet scored a second half equaliser after Janice Kamen had given Leicester the lead early on. Janina Leipzig made a string of saves, making sure her side uh, got at least a point. And despite those draws, uh, Tottenham have still won three WSL games this season, two fewer than the entirety of the last campaign, which is quite incredible. Right, let's hear from both managers, shall we? Talk Sports' Ian Stringer spoke to Spurs boss Robert Villaham, but first, Leicester manager Willie Kirk. It's a little bit frustrating. Right. You know, we're coming into this game, we think it's a winnable game, and uh, we've probably not hit the, well, we definitely haven't hit the hit the performance levels that we wanted to. I thought we had a really good opening 20 minutes looked really bright looked like last week was long forgotten about and then we went a little bit like in a not survival mode but you know we went 1-0 up and suddenly it's like we've got something to lose and we looked a little bit debilitated by that like going ahead should give us confidence but just now it's like it's causing us a little bit of anxiety and uh, and we just need to work our way through that if you look at the first 30 minutes, I think it's definitely a fair point because they were really good and giving us some really big problems. But if you look at the overall, when we score 1-1 and create a lot of good chances and having the ball much of the second half, I think we still could have won it, actually. But it's a, it's a tough game and Leicester is a good team, so a draw is a draw. Mm, a physical game as well, I thought, at times. Yeah, I mean, we knew that. They are really tough. They, they go player by player and they want to have a high intensity in the press, right? So for us, it's important to have the runs. And, and after 20, 25 minutes, we started to find those spaces and those runs. And that's how we create chances right so tough game but it's a fun game to watch I guess yeah I can understand why Willie Kirk feels feels like that but that's exactly what you want your manager to say kind of isn't it when you've had a one one all draw against a side that you know you're pushing for like that next level against yeah there was a big sigh in the middle of that wasn't there and it was just like (laughs) you could just feel the Willie Kirk vibes um yeah that yes it must have been very very disappointing um they must have been expecting to be able to get those get those three points kind of bounce right back um yeah it's it's what it, it is what you want from a manager and then again I'm sure that there's going to be some questions asked some discussions this week because that this isn't what Leicester would be expecting after having started pretty well no, um, Everton 2, Bristol City 2 is where we round things um, up. Amelie Thestrup's late strike giving the bottom side Bristol City a draw against Everton at Walton Hall Park. They came from behind twice as well, uh, denying Everton a first home win of the campaign. Martina Piemont and Megan Finnegan had scored earlier for Everton, but Brian Sorensen's side just couldn't hold on to the lead, had to settle for a point 
in the end. So with Aston Villa's victory this weekend, it means Bristol City back in the relegation spot. But Everton sit in 10th, but they've just got the five points. Uh, look, it's really interesting about Bristol because they're putting in the performances, but just not necessarily getting the results. And, you know, they were written off. They've been written off pretty much by everybody uh, but this season. Can Can you see them staying up? I don't see why, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, there, there, there are going to be chances. It's very close at the bottom still. You know, one win changes everything, like we saw with like we saw with Vela. Once you've got those three points, that's going to transform it. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't think anything anything is set in stone for Bristol City yet. I think they've got uh, plenty still to play for. Just a quick word as well on um, Everton's Nicolene Sorensen, who's set to leave Everton and retire at the age of 26 to pursue other interests. What, what, did, what did you make of that decision? Yeah, I, yeah it, it was a surprise, but, you know, good for her. I mean, her statement on social media, it was very wide-ranging. It was It's clearly something that she's thought a lot about, and she clearly has other things that she, she wants to pursue. But, um, yeah, best of luck to her. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So it was a big win in the WSL for Chelsea, but the same couldn't be said for their opening Women's Champions League match. Carrie and I discussed their controversial two-all draw against Real Madrid, which saw some frustrating refereeing decisions go against Emma Hayes' side. Finished two-all in the end, Chelsea frustrated in their opener as a controversial penalty call and a disallowed goal helped Real Madrid draw with them in Group D. Uh, this is how the game panned out. Uh, Real Madrid had taken the lead in the 10th minute, World Cup winner Olga Carmona's effort from range deflected wickedly off of Chelsea defender Millie Bright, wrong-footing the goalkeeper and Katrin Berger. Uh, Chelsea deservedly equalised, though, just before half-time through Neve Charles. She was unmarked at the back post, heading in Ashley Lawrence's cross. Um, Sam Kerr completed the turnaround. She put Chelsea ahead after 75 minutes, uh, heading home Neve Charles's cross. But two minutes later, Real were awarded a penalty with Danish referee Frieda Klarland judging Jesse Fleming to have fouled Del Castillo in the area. Replay showed that Fleming had caught her outside the box, but with no video assistant referee 
Carmona took the spot kick and buried it into the top corner. Um, Chelsea were then denied the final say. Sam Kerr judged to be offside and interfering with play as Charles thought she'd found a 95th minute winner. Look, it was a controversial game if you're a Chelsea supporter. And uh, I, I think it's fair to say they felt completely robbed. What did you think of the decisions, Carrie? Yeah, an unfortunate pair of decisions, I guess. And unfortunately, they, went, they both went against Chelsea. Um, but I guess, you know, the same as I, I always say, they had the rest of the 90 minutes to be able to get other goals. They could have not conceded. You know, there, there were other opportunities for that result to not be like that. So, yes, it's very, very irritating that those two decisions went against them. Yeah. Are you an advocate for VAR in women's football? It's something that I've spoken to Serena Wiegmann, the England manager, about quite a lot. And she says there just needs to be consistency. If you have it in one competition, it has to be throughout the competition, um, you know, or if you have it in one competition, you have to have it in all competitions. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that I'm an advocate for VAR in, in any football, to be honest. But if we are going to have it, then I think I'm with Serena Wiegmann on that. Uh, if you're going to have it, it's got to be everywhere, top to bottom. I find it, you know, it's not quite a level playing field if only the top clubs have it and or the only the top competitions. It's it's something that's difficult to get used to. You know, it's still a new technology that we're trying out and we're getting used to as fans and as observers and as reporters, as well as players and coaches. We'll talk about refereeing very shortly as well and hear from uh, WSL referee Emily Heaslip, who's done an interview with us on, on Talk Sport. But uh, back to the Champions League, a point on the road for Chelsea in their opening game is is pretty good. Um, they've got BK Hacken and Paris FC, the other teams in, in Group D, and Hacken beat Paris FC, who themselves are giant killers, having uh, had great fun knocking out uh, some big teams in the lead up to to the group stages. Uh, so Hacken lead the group. Here are some of the other um, results for you. Rosengard were beaten 2-1 by Eintracht Frankfurt. Brand beat St. Poulton by two goals to one. Barcelona had a rout against Benfica, scoring five goals. Leon a bigger rout. Nine goals away to Slavia Prague. Uh, Bayern and Roma played out a two-all draw and Ajax beat uh, Paris Saint-Germain by two goals to nil. So, you know, pretty interesting Champions League um, first round. On Wednesday, the PGMOL, uh, which looks after professional referees in the game across the UK, is going to be holding an event called Breaking Barriers at Fulham's Craven Cottage, showcasing how refereeing is a career option for young people and for everyone from a range of backgrounds. I've been lucky enough to do some work with the PGMOL and they're doing some fantastic work in the community and it's really key you know, to, to make sure that new referees are coming up um, through the ranks and, you know, showing it as a real option for uh, for people probably who only assume that they could be a professional footballer and they don't actually see what they could do at the top levels of the game uh, from, an, from an officiating uh, point of view. Talk Sports' Bradley Hayden caught up with WSL referee Emily Heaslip, who told us the importance of getting more women into refereeing and why the WSL is a safe space for female referees. Refereeing is a career and I think you speak to a lot of us now that maybe have come through the system more more recently. Two, three years ago, refereeing was probably never a career and certainly not for females. Now it is 100% going to be a career and I think give it another couple of years, the, the women's game is going to go bang and we'll have tons of full-time officials. We want to encourage the girls to get involved as much as we can. In terms of being a safe place, I think it's the culture 
of women's refereeing and women's football in general. Women's football is a safe place to be. It's a really nice family feel and, and we have got that nice atmosphere at the moment. And that, as long as that stays, I think that's going to be really good for the women's game in general and those younger girls coming through. It's a really good time to be a referee. And in terms of career aspects, the future is bright. For all those young girls and, and women that are listening to this, what, what would your advice be to them if they decide that they want to, to pick up the whistle and, and be a referee? I think number one for me is is work hard. That's something you really want to push on and achieve and and to progress through the system. Then, of course, work hard naturally comes with it. So work hard as much as you can. Don't be afraid to ask questions or speak to people that have been in your shoes because there are always people that have been in your shoes. Uh, and I think the, the key thing that I've learned over the years is resilience. Now, there's always going to be ups and downs in football, in refereeing, as a player, as a coach, as a manager, as a physio, whatever it is. We're always going to experience opportunities which will take us to that next, the, the next level. Sorry, um, But that may not come when we expect it or when we want it, but setbacks will always be involved. And they don't always come when we expect it and when we want it. But if you can ride the waves and... Um, as cheesy as it sounds, really make sure that you can overcome those waves. Um, resilience is probably one of the key strengths and the key attributes as a referee because whether that's the progression, the career, the journey, the, the story that you tell or within the game itself, there's always going to be times that we need resilience. So, yeah, work hard. Don't be afraid to ask questions and trust that there will be setbacks, but just remain strong and um, you'll come out even stronger the other side. I guess the nature of the shift patterns, I mean, one, some weeks you'll be working probably daytimes, other times night times. That doesn't really help when you've had maybe a busy shift. The last thing you probably would have wanted to do is come home and, and go out and training again, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. The thing I always say to everyone is at some point in your career, there's always going to be opportunities to progress. But until those happen, most of us are working full time jobs. And the question is, how much do you want it? How much do you want to improve? Do you want to be better, fitter, stronger? And, and if the answer is yes, then you've got to do what you can with the time that you've got to, to make sure that you can do that again in and around a full time job. Do you embrace the fact that maybe you're you're seen as being a bit of a, a trailblazer and as an example for young girls to to follow as well? Yeah, it's it's interesting. People say that quite a lot, and it's not always something I think of myself to be. I don't necessarily think of myself to be a role model or a a trailblazer or anything like that. But I guess certainly with the more publicity within the women's game, and there's some top officials coming through and there's more publicity around that, then, yeah, I, I, I guess there is that element of being known to be one of the top officials, and that's great, but I, I just want to go out and referee and do the best I can for the game, perform the best I can for my own personal performance. But, um, look, if, if that inspires other people, then fantastic. I've, I've unintentionally done done that. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a good place to be, but... It comes with obviously challenges as well, but if I can promote and, and inspire others from just being out there, then I've, I've done something um, that I don't intend to do. But of course, we want to inspire girls as much as we can. 
Now, the last few years have seen England's lionesses enjoy astronomical success, winning the 2022 Euros and making it to the World Cup finals earlier this year. And Carrie has just released an exciting new book called Woman Up, where she shines a light on the evolution of women's football and the gender gap that still exists in the game. It is packed with practical advice and first-hand accounts from players, coaches, officials, clothing manufacturers and others who've made their mark on the female game. And I asked Carrie to tell me what inspired her to write the book and what she learned along the way I think because I'm so very aware of the history of women's football and I know that every time I talk about the ban to kind of a, a general you know not women's football fan audience people are always shocked still and it's something that I think we in the women's football space are really aware of but maybe not the the, the, the public more more broadly so I really wanted to do something that explored some of the challenges that not just the ban, some of the other things that women have faced and overcome to succeed in football, but things that they're still dealing with, you know, things like boots that fit and kit that fits and finding a all-girls club for a little girl to play at because she doesn't want to play alongside the boys because they won't pass to her. Um, we talked about Nicolene Sorensen earlier, and I was thinking, um, you know, I talked to Josephine Hennig, the, the, the former Germany international who was at Arsenal for, for a while, and she packed up football uh, uh, slightly later than the, the, the Nico, but um, she, she's an artist now. And kind of talking to footballers about how they've made those choices between that dedication to reach the top in football, um, but which isn't going to make you particularly a great deal of money. How you put aside your other passions, talking to people like Pia Sundhager, who was a fine, fine player herself and looking at how things have changed from her playing days to what she's seeing now. It's an absolutely kind of fascinating thing for me to do, but I think it's also a really important bit of context because I think quite often it's really easy for us to like point at the lionesses now and say things are fantastic, which they are, but there are also things slightly further down the pyramid and not a lot further down the pyramid. I'm talking bottom of the championship, top of the National League. There are still these challenges that girls and women are still facing and we still need to struggle with. So we shouldn't be glossing over them, I think. No, I agree with you. I, I find it fascinating. I'd love to know the number of um, women's players who quit because they got pregnant or wanted to get pregnant. And you look at the role models that are around now in terms of Tony Duggan still playing for for Everton, having having had a little girl, um, and uh, Melanie Leupoldt at, at, at Chelsea, Alex Morgan when she came over to Spurs, and and most importantly, having had a baby myself, I you know I physically it takes a long time to get yourself back to the position that you were at before, regardless of whether you're training throughout it. And, and what is available now for these elite athletes compared to what was available and pay and protection, by the way, um, there's so many aspects to it that people just don't think about. Yeah, it's only been in the past couple of years in, in England that maternity leave provisions have, have been built into the standard contracts, which seems incredible, but it's absolutely true. And yes, it's not just about the pay and you know, coming back to your job. It's about the other stuff that you need around it, the support with childcare, should you need that. It's about the rehab and the training that you need to do kind of perhaps by yourself while you're coming back from, from, from giving birth. And there are other kind of uniquely female physical challenges too, you know, coping with things like periods. Um, you know, there are lots of clubs now at the top level who are 
taking you know, records of menstrual cycles and building that into the training program but maybe we should be looking at kind of embedding that into all women's teams up and down the pyramid because it's not ever going to be a case of taking the training program that you're running with a men's team and saying there you go women here's a training program it's going to have to be something uniquely female that's taken into account a lot of these things because you know as we, we've had seen this so-called ACL epidemic perhaps that's linked to hormones in some cases but I think looking at these uniquely female physical challenges is so, so important because you mentioned people giving birth and then not coming back after that if they were footballers. I think we've also had that previously with ACL injuries. I know mm. that Farrah Williams has said that she thinks that this, we're seeing more ACL injuries than ever before. I think what we're actually seeing is more ACL injuries diagnosed than ever before and then players going through the rehab to come back because before they'd have just hung up their boots and said, I can't play anymore because their need's gone. Yeah, it's quite incredible, isn't it? And when you talk about obstacles, there are many and funding has been, you know, a big one for all of this, all of this stuff. But, you know, you talk about the pay gap topic in in, in the book. It's an ongoing conversation in, in, in women's football. It is. I mean, the pay gap thing, I think, is slightly different than talking to the, about the prize money gap, which I think is actually a more pressing concern and one that's much easier to fix because I think it's fantastic. We had the news recently about the prize money in the Women's FA Cup increasing, but that's only increasing after the third round proper when the championship sides are coming in. The teams who have been through the, the FA Cup this season already, through qualifying and making it to the main draw, they're the ones who would really benefit from a cash injection the clubs coming in after the third round stage probably already got quite a lot of money, maybe not loads, but they've got more money than these clubs further down the pyramid who would really, really benefit even from a thousand pounds, let alone 10,000 pounds. So the prize money stuff, I think, is easier to fix. I think FIFA could quite easily equalise World Cup prize money. They're not obligated to split their prize money dependent on broadcast deals and marketing and advertising and what have you. They could spend it equally if they wanted to. And I think the same it's, it's the same for other governing bodies. Yeah, I agree. So what else should we look out for in the book? Is there any particular section you enjoyed writing? I'll tell you what, I loved writing the stuff about kit. I loved finding out about socks. I had no <laughs> idea that men's socks are what you get with football kits. I thought socks were just socks. Socks are not just socks, say. Um, women's feet <laughs> tend to be structurally slightly different. The, the widest point is at a different place. Um, women's heels tend to be narrower. Women's arches tend to be higher. So if you ever pulled on a pair of socks when you're playing football and thought there's too much material in a certain place, you've put your boots on and the material is rubbing on your little toes or you're feeling your heels slopping about in your boot, that's why these unisex things are actually built for men's feet. So, yeah, finding out about, you know, the terrible perils of socks was absolutely fascinating to me. And I now bang on about it all the time to my football player friends going, make sure that you've got the right socks, cut off your toes, make sure they fit properly. Because there is a serious point. If your foot isn't stable in your boot, you're slopping around, you're not planting your foot properly, you're not landing properly when you're jumping, you can possibly be risking a knee injury an ankle injury a hip injury and it all has a knock-on effect so even the littlest things can have a massive massive impact 
It's so basic, isn't it? Why have I never thought about that before? And actually, I do go back to like years where even playing playing football, playing hockey, playing whatever sport as uh, as a kid at school, and you just put on those ridiculous, uncomfortable socks, didn't you? And they were they were always ri- it almost felt as if they'd never seen a tumble dryer in their life or any fabric conditioner. <laughs> And then actually, it's because the structure of them isn't right. Who knew? I feel educated already. I'm really looking forward to reading the book, Carrie. Uh, where can uh, people go and buy it? Um, all good bookshops, of, of course. Um, uh, I know that there are some signed copies available if you're anywhere near near Guildford, uh, Milton Keynes or Wolverhampton. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back next Monday from 10pm on TalkSport 2, where we'll round up all the WSL action and the second round of Champions League group games.